Well, welcome back to another week of what I like to call the BBC, not that BBC in London, the Brent Broadcasting Channel, based in Stockbridge, Georgia. And welcome back to uh, hopefully what was a great holiday weekend. I hope everybody had a good time and stayed safe while having a good time. But hey, the good times kind of come to an end for at least a couple of days. (laughs) <laughs> in terms of uh, getting back to work, but I'm actually kind of happy we're back to work. And I'm really happy to be talking to Melissa Bradley, who is the co-founder of a company called Eureka. Uh, Melissa, thank you for joining me. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we talk about what you guys are doing at Eureka and really the, the audience that you're focused on, which is one that I'm really interested in. Do you like football? Are you a football fan at all? You know, I I am a football fan. I'm a bigger basketball fan, but I pay close enough attention to football so I can stay abreast of conversations. Well, that's good to know. Now, I'm sporting. I'm a Rams fan, which most people kind of know if they've been watching. I've actually this is I'm breaking out the new Rams gear because you know the season is about to start. Well, I think the season's about to start, so I'm just getting my mindset ready for what I hope to be. Uh, a good year. We'll see. But anyway, let's hope so. Let's hope so. At least the NBA has been able to survive, right? I mean, living in a bubble and a wobble says something. So I'm curious to see how long of it. I'd rather bet on how long of a season we have than on a particular game, but we'll see. We'll see. That's true. So are you rooting since you're talking about the bubble? Is there a team in the bubble that you're rooting for or for basketball or football? Yeah. For basketball. Uh, so basketball, um, so I'm originally from New York, uh, so I always pull for the Liberty. Um, I live in D.C., so I'm also rooting for the Mystics. Uh, and I have become a huge fan of the Atlanta Dream uh, and their ability to use sports and their voices to uplift some amazing causes. Uh, so I'm also cheering for them. Awesome. Well, that's cool. And I'm you know, yeah. right here in Atlanta, so. That's right. Have a little bit of partiality going on there. well they're making a hell of a comeback so we'll see what happens so let's talk a little bit about eureka maybe before you even talk about eureka why don't you talk about uh, your personal background and then what led to eureka sure so i'm a serial entrepreneur uh, and investor i've spent uh, the good portion of my life uh, trying to start businesses and run businesses that I have working for someone else. Um, so I am a tip- pretty typical entrepreneur. Um, and during the course of time where I've probably now created about four or five businesses, uh, I've always run into two big problems. One is finding people who actually believe in what I do uh, and are willing to support me. And we can talk about what that support means. And two, finding investors. And part of that is obviously uh, because I'm a woman, we know the statistics are not in favor of women getting investments. And then some would say I have the double burden. I say I have the double opportunity that I'm also a woman of color. Um, and, and I'm also gay, uh, which is sometimes transparent and not transparent. So I've got a few things that, that do not put me in the typical category of white 
male uh, straight starting a business. Um, and so I have found over the years that it's been really hard for people to one, be willing to even listen to me and understand my idea, but two, and probably more importantly, believe in me and my idea since many of my businesses have specifically focused on people of color, which is ironic, right? Because demographically we are uh, about to be the majority in many states, we are the majority of the population. We are clearly a trendsetter when it comes to culture. We clearly rule certain industries, like we just talked about sports and fashion and media, and, and now beginning to really emerge in finance and fintech. But but they don't look like me. And so I have struggled with access to people who are willing to help me in terms of good advice. I've struggled with access to people willing to invest in me. I'm not looking for a handout. And I've struggled for people to actually even want to, in some cases, do business with me. As my first company, people have said, if I knew that you had been a person of color, I'm not sure I would have contracted with your company, which is just absolutely absurd. And so Eureka is a platform that is designed to democratize access short and simple. Our whole mission is democratize access and reduce friction, particularly for small and medium-sized businesses, but recognizing that the next wave of entrepreneurs are indeed women and people of color, we have a very specific focus on reaching out to them and making sure that they can grow the business they want to grow. And that is done primarily through coaching support, uh, through access to content, that behind the scenes chatter that happens in, in those firms, and then also access to capital. So I was captivated by this quote, this uh, wise woman said in an article I just read <laughs> recently from TechCrunch, there is an intentionality in our business to go after what we see as the fastest growing, largest and most interesting market opportunity, which is not Harvard and MIT pedigree, but underrepresented entrepreneurs. Now that is right. a mouthful and that says a lot. <laughs> Why is that such a... a, a a foundational part of what you do. And, and it sounds like it's a foundational part of how you live. It is. You know, I, I think there's two major drivers. Um, so one, I'm a finance major, right? So I go where the numbers say. And so I think it's important because African-American women are actually starting businesses six times their white male peers. And so it's just a natural evolution with a 40% decline in white men starting businesses and a sharp increase in the number of black women, in addition to women in general. I think it just says that's where we need to be spending our time, right? When, when investors say, who's your market? We want to pick a fast growing market. No, not rocket science. Um, the second thing I would say is that we also know that that market is, is typically burdened um, and saddled, yet they do great things, right? I mean, African-American business owners and, and Latino business owners are actually the highest employers in this country. So it just speaks to the fact that go where the numbers are, both in terms of employment and startup and growth opportunity, but also go where there's a market need. And there's some research that I did almost two years ago now that said that it takes a black entrepreneur a quarter of a million dollars more to start the same exact business as their white peers. So there's clearly a market opportunity and gap. And I don't know about you, I, I don't know the record of the Rams, but I'm going to bet on the underdogs, right? If, if nobody's giving me money and nobody's paying attention to me, but I am killing it when it comes to job creation, then I'm going to go with them. And so that's really what the drivers are and, and what the whole premise in terms of why it's important that you go after underrepresented founders. And, and there's also a slight nuance there 
because I know in this world of high tech, there also tends to be a focus on VC backed businesses, which tend to be tech businesses. And, and those are great. We love them. We are a tech business. But but we should also know that there's a whole swath of businesses that are not tech businesses that are doing well and that are making millions. And only 10% of black entrepreneurs even run tech companies. Now, we want to change that. We want more folks to feel good about that. But, but you got 90% that are not running tech businesses, but are running retail businesses, that are running food businesses, that are running hospitality businesses. And the world is basically saying, we don't care about you because you're not VC ready. So we just really went where we saw there was a huge opportunity and a huge need and, and communities that we know that nobody else was paying attention to. And so in some cases, you know, we're following the numbers and in other cases, we're capitalizing on what we call first mover advantage because everybody else is ignoring these folks. So are you surprised that even with all these numbers and stats that you just spouted off, which I think are incredibly important, that things at least it seems like they haven't moved or they're not moving as fast as you would think based on those numbers. I did. A, I moderated a panel at the kind of right before the pandemic set in. Uh, it was around diversity and inclusion, mm. and one of the panelists, uh, Kate Bradley Chernis, who has a company called Try Lately, um, she threw out a stat. I think she said that only two percent of the VC money available goes to women-owned businesses. And right. when you look at, like you were saying, when you even go further and look at Black women-owned businesses. I think the number grows from 2% to 0.2% or something like that. That's right. So, That's so right. why, if we, if we are seeing some of the numbers and some of the things that you just uh, talked about, why is that still the case? Why is the market still a market? Why are VCs still really just completely ignoring this opportunity? So I think there's a few reasons. I think one is that the markets is the market, right? I mean, I, I, you know, I think that people have to understand the drivers of being a finance person. So I, I don't want to just throw out bias and racism because that's part of it. But you know, the reality is investment is based on past precedent. And so unfortunately, we are perpetuating this historical underinvestment because nobody has seen a winner yet. And we're all waiting for a winner. We forget, though, you can't get a winner if you don't step outside the box. So I think one is the markets are just naturally driving repeatable, scalable behavior that one would argue is not broken. I mean, the markets appear to be working, not for everybody but they're working. So there's really no incentive to break that, that trajectory. The second thing is, which I hear and I struggle with, but, but in some cases it could be true, is I don't know where they are. And so, yeah, you know, not every entrepreneur is hanging out at MIT or Stanford. You know, I'm in DC, there's tons of entrepreneurs sitting at Howard University. There's tons of entrepreneurs at HBCUs, but no one is going there to scout them. And I think part of it is they don't know um, and let's be honest, there is an additional cost, emotional and financial. And we do have to understand that for better or for worse, the margins that are allowed to do any kind of innovation in finance are limited. And so people are tend to be relatively risk averse. And then the final thing I would say is that I don't think media, I'm so grateful to be here and, and have seen your work and really appreciate you and all the folks that you talk about are starting to do these panels. I don't think people even know we exist. 
Um, you know, I think that there is a few anomalies, right, that make the success stories that, you know, back in the day, I'm dating myself, you know, we used to have Ebony, <laughs> we had Black Enterprise, you know, and, and we, you know, you get that one, as long as you can find one a month, you're good. But, but with all of the social media that's happening, I think the successes that we do have get lost in the noise. And so people struggle to say, there's one, there's one, there's one. And, and let me be clear, you know, pattern recognition sucks, but it is a way to at least create the proxy for people to say, I can at least think of one. And I think we've got to do something where people can at least think of one, because once you get to one, the beauty of this community of entrepreneurs and particularly entrepreneurs of color is everybody knows each other. It is a highly supportive ecosystem. So if you can find one and you call them on the phone or you text them, they're going to give you at least 10 to 20 others that are doing just as good, if not better than themselves. So I think those are just a few reasons that we're finding folks aren't, aren't, aren't really focused and having this conversation. Can you talk a little, a little bit about your co-founders? Because they're not black. <laughs> they're not persons of color. They're white dudes. But they, they must have seen a, a shared vision that you had. Can you talk a little bit about that? No doubt. You know, uh, it, it started literally in Buffalo, New York. Uh, so if you talk to Dave, you'd have a battle of the Rams versus the Bill. <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave it at that. But, um, you know, it, it started with a conversation where we were both at a pitch competition in Buffalo, one of the largest pitch competitions out there run uh, out of the out of the state. And uh, 42 North is, is the name of the group. And we were judging. And we were kind of all sitting together because we were the celebrity judges that were going to be on stage that, that night after a two-day set of interviews. And all of us just kept bantering, saying, well, that was good. Well, that was not good. Oh, I wish they'd done this. And, and I noticed at one point, it wasn't until the darn near last day, he kept making all these comments. And they were good comments, but they were out of context. And I finally said to him, I said, you know, you think if people knew, they would make those changes. Like, yeah, I don't get it. He said, but, I said, but they don't know. I said, you know, the women and entrepreneurs of color don't know. They're not sitting in Silicon Valley with you. You know, when you make a pitch, somebody doesn't go, well, let me tell you why you got a four out of five and here's how you can, of course, correct that. They're like, yeah, he didn't get it. Peace out. And so there was an unspoken narrative that is happening behind closed doors that most entrepreneurs don't know, but particularly entrepreneurs of color. And, you know, you know, you see it happen all the time. It, unfortunately, when you don't get a lot of airtime and you don't get a lot of exposure, when you get that chance, you put everything into it. You are carrying the weight of every single black and brown entrepreneur on your shoulder. And therefore, oftentimes you're not focused or you're not thinking, what is the investor need? You're thinking, I've got a shot to open the door. And so that conversation continued throughout the rest of the weekend. We were there and he was like, well, you know, I, I, I'm struggling with what you're saying, but but I but I believe it. And so, you know, how can I help? And I said, well, you know what? I'm all opposite side of the country. You're sitting in your bubble. I need my entrepreneurs to be inside your bubble as we talk about the bubble and the wobble. And he said, come on out. And I never thought I was going to hear from the guy again. Don't you know, three days later, I got an email. Here's some dates you think you can come. And I took him up on that. And it was just that moment of his willingness to listen to just yet another judge to say, look, you're not saying bad things. They're just out of context. And you need to understand the full story of what it took for these entrepreneurs 
entrepreneurs to get here that then evolved into a series of programs that he actually put together uh, while he was still working in Silicon Valley, solely focused on women and entrepreneurs of color. And finally, it culminated one day in New York City at dinner where he looked at me, I looked at him and we were like, this little ad hoc stuff seems to be working. I was like, yeah, people are responding to the group. We're solving problems. People are having a good time. They're meeting each other. We're building a community. And he's like, so what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do. Uh, and he said, I'm willing to leave my job. And I was like, wow. huh, okay, well, I guess I'm willing to leave my job too. Um, and it just started from there. And then he had introduced me to Rob and Rob was like, well, I'm retired, but you know, I'm, I'm doing this stuff anyway, piecemeal. So let's go all in. And, and it's been a learning experience for every single one of us. It's been uh, a growth experience in terms of all of us being serial entrepreneurs, but really how do you authentically run a business that is really focused on communities that most people are ignoring? That's a really great story. And it's great to, to find that even though there are, you know, some differences in appearance and gender and all, there's still a common cause around people. And you guys saying, you know, we need to go all in. That's great. Now, great. I think it was earlier this year, you guys also raised a pretty significant amount of money in from a, a number of different uh, venture firms. We did. A little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, um, I have uh, coming from the East Coast and not looking like my co-founders, venture is not typically my first path uh, of thought around uh, raising money. But when we realized after about a good six months of trying things and piecemealing things together, we realized this really could be a tech company. And it just seemed a natural uh, opportunity to say, let's go raise some venture capital. And we had the conversations like, do you think people are going to give us the, the three of us money? Um, you know, do you think people are going to invest in the idea where we're actually trying to talk to people like me? Um, and I have to say, as I've told everybody, I was pleasantly surprised. I had been to Silicon Valley before. I had worked out there before. I knew a lot of these firms. And I would say the openness, I think in part because they knew Dave, our co-founder, through both prior investments, but also in a very colleague, collegial way, um, that there was an openness to at least listen. No one shut us down and said, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Um, and everyone's biggest question was, how are you going to get these businesses to trust you? And we said, we're still working on that. We don't take that for granted. We're still working on that. But it was clear that everybody who came in saw a gap in the small business market, right? There's, there's a, you know, everything is so fragmented, every, there's such redundancy that they saw a real opportunity to aggregate, not consolidate. And because we had a partner strategy from the onset, they saw that we were not trying to be Pac-Man and eat up the ecosystem. We were really trying to firm up and shore up the ecosystem. So with that, we, we got some great response. We got some folks who said, yeah, let me wait and see. And of course, now they're like, I wish I had not waited. Um, <laughs> but we were thrilled to be able to raise uh, you know, $8.6 million from folks uh, in the Midwest and on the coast, uh, who most importantly were willing to support what we're calling this next wave of entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, They had lots of questions, but they believed in us, which was important, and that's all of us equally. They believed in our focus because we were very clear, this is a business that's going to be open to all, but we're going to laser in on women entrepreneurs of color, and, and nobody backed down from that. And, and in fact, many said, I hope you can pull it off because we've seen many iterations before you uh, and it hasn't happened. So we are we are very fortunate to have some amazing investors behind us. It's funny that you should say that 
one of the things is, that's a, it's kind of like up there as a challenge is getting those small businesses to trust you. And I, 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 it struck me interesting because as I was kind of, you know, doing my little digging around, learning more sure. about what you guys do, uh, I came across this. Uh, it was like a Reddit uh, page. It said, is Eureka legit for this fun thing that Facebook is doing? And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I had heard about it and I know what you're doing for Salesforce and their grant program. But yeah. talk a little bit about the, the grant programs, but also... I guess folks are trying to figure out, well, why does Facebook or Salesforce, why do they need somebody like Eureka that we've never, never really heard of? Right, right. Well, that, that that was a question we we asked the same thing. Like, why do we need you? We actually turn the tables um, because money is a dime a dozen. Right. I mean, I think, you know, post George Floyd, everybody, you know, money is raining out windows and we wanted to be mindful. Right. That if we were going to enter into these partnerships, there were three things that were happening. One, that it was legitimate. Right. That there was a real uh, honesty and earnestness around helping entrepreneurs of color and not just some quick media blurb to kind of get you out of the public fray. Um, the second thing was, is that they weren't just going to give money. And I know that sounds crazy because everybody says, what do I need money, 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 money. But I say the same thing to entrepreneurs say to my kids, what do you need the money for? Money is a means to an end. And, and I will tell you, in my years of doing this work prior to coming to Eureka, we did a pitch competition and we had a young lady that won $25,000 and she was over the moon. We followed up with her three months later and I said, hey, do you want to come to this program we're running? Because, you know, you just seem like you might need some assistance. She said, girl, I'm on the next plane because I have yet to cash the check because I don't know what to do with the money because my needs far exceed the check size. So I'm just sitting here looking at it. Um, and then, so that was important that we weren't just going to be giving money. Um, and then the third thing is we wanted to, again, make sure that we were able to continue the relationship, right? Because again, writing a check is, is just the beginning, not the end. So, so once we realized that all of our partners were going to do that, what we were able to do is partner with all of these companies that you mentioned, after we had our due diligence and they did theirs and not only deploy the capital, but make sure they had access to free coaching, make sure they had access to free content and then obviously help them with some of their problems. You know, some of the biggest problems we've seen in all of this is having offline businesses pivot to online. And I don't know about you, but I'm barely managing Twitter and Instagram. And oftentimes I need the help of my kids. You're probably so much better than me. <laughs> and so we find that there is a level of expertise that people are going to pay somebody to do that. And I lose my mind when entrepreneurs outsource too much because then their goal is your intellectual property. And so we were able to say, you got a grant, but you also got some coaching. You also got some one-on-one -on -one assistance. So we have companies like Keeping You Sweet, right? That makes what I think to be some of the best gluten-free sweet potato, natural cheesecakes you've ever seen, alternatives to sugar that, that are now selling in Whole Foods Market. Um, I had a knee replacement. There's a company run by a black doctor, Kirsten Shepard Ahmed, who has this gel, I think is magic, um, but it's called Pain Stopper. And we helped her get past $100,000 a month by being able to really help with the coaching and the consulting assistant. We've seen, you know, people's Facebook followers go up 500% because they got, they were part of the coaching program with a company called Harvest with the number nine. Um, they got the coaching and then wanted more. They had a 100% increase on Instagram. So, you know, money is a means to an end. And so I think we were able to make that value pitch to the companies and then tell the entrepreneurs that they got more than just money. It, it really increased our trust. 
uh, but it also increased our value to the entrepreneurs because let's be clear, people are writing checks left and right, but if I don't know where to spend it, I don't know who to hire, I don't understand how the algorithms work in IG or Shopify, what good is it? And I sp and we find when I mentioned to you earlier that it cost a quarter of a million dollars more for a black entrepreneur to start the same business, about 30% of that is just churning through professional service providers who don't have our best interest at heart. So we really solved a perpetual need in a time of crisis to help these entrepreneurs survive. You keep talking about raining money. And I, I'm like looking out my window right now. <laughs> money and I, there's a lot of people that are saying, I, I can't, I don't know where to get money. Are you saying that money is, is becoming more accessible or available because of like what's happened recently with some of the social unrest? I would say that more money is becoming available. I think the question is, Still, it's raining. Now, whether or not we can reach over the balcony and get it before it passes us is a different story. <laughs> but sure, you know, there, there's a there's a behind the scenes Google Doc, right, going around of all the commitments that everybody's made since since George Floyd's death, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I'm giving us till Christmas and people's guilt and, and concern may or may not wear off. But there's a lot of folks who have stepped up, I think, some in tremendous earnest. Uh, and I think it's okay to say self-interest because their businesses are small businesses. And so why not invest in your customers? And then I think there are others who are putting out, you know, dare we say vanity programs. Um, and, and, you know, that's up to them, right? Uh, but I do want to reiterate, there is a opportunity that I'd say most major companies right now are investing in some kind of program and outreach. Many of the first forerunners were money. Some of them are now saying, how do I use my team and my staff? I'm sitting on a wealth of expertise. How do I give back? We have a lot of companies, including Salesforce, that gave us employees to be coaches. I mean, imagine like, duh, but like how amazing that was, right? To have people on the inside tell us how to make this stuff work for you. So yeah, I think that there are lots of programs. Now, let me be clear. It's raining, but there's still a catch. Um, you know, there's still caveats. There's still prerequisites. But I would say there's been a tremendous spike in individuals and institutions, both philanthropic and not, that are really trying to think about how do I get more money in the hands of black and brown entrepreneurs? We've seen PayPal doing it. We've seen Netflix doing it. Even companies like a Netflix, that you never would have thought about this before. I think people are catching on. A, we're a viable marketplace. We have over a billion dollars purchasing power. Uh, but B, again, they're beginning to really look at the data and say, we're some of the fastest growing small businesses. How do I make sure that I start that relationship with them? Let me uh, throw up a question that came up from my buddy Alan Berkson over at Freshworks. What success factors do you look for that typical VCs overlook or ignore? I think uh, the biggest thing is understanding your community. Uh, you know, I think what VCs, having been one, tend to talk about target market. Uh, but oftentimes there's a disconnect between the entrepreneur and that target market. And so it's a race to the top or to the bottom, whoever can get there first. There is something to be said when people use community instead of target market, because it speaks to a different level of connectedness, a different level of trust, a different level of mutuality and respect. And I think that that's how women and entrepreneurs of color talk about, right? We, we don't say the target market is, we say the folks we're trying to serve, the community that we care about. And that means a lot, right? It resonates with certain communities, but it sounds like a turnoff and oftentimes think it comes with additional dollars in other communities. So I think that's the one thing um, that VCs really overlook is our connection to community because customers are going to come and go. Community sticks with you. I would also say the other thing I think they overlook is the non-traditional 
experience and education that one has. I don't get how someone coming out of MIT or Harvard, great schools, don't get me wrong, trumps someone who has 15 years of corporate experience starting the same exact business. And and because I don't, and they might've gone to community college. And so to me, I think we're misaligning uh, and, and, and misranking uh, what is important in terms of running a business. And, and, and being a professor, I, I'm not sure that what I learned in the classroom is ever going to be more valid than what I've actually experienced in life. So you do a lot with this community. Uh, you're constantly engaged with them. I see the pitch videos. I love those pitch videos, those yeah. contacts you put out there. So you're yeah. interacting all the time. What are the things that you are surprised with uh, in response to some of the things that you're hearing and, and engaging with the, that community of folks that you're surprised about in today's yeah. economic market, with today's community, with today's everything. What's the most surprising when you talk to those, uh, those folks? So, you know, honestly, it, it's going to sound a little crazy, but I am um, every day surprised at, at two things. Um, I'm surprised at how easy it is, or we make it easy because of who I work with and our community of coaches. Um, it's not that hard. And so I'm always surprised that like, wow, it took you all this time to get to us in order to have this one piece of success. Um, so I think that's one thing is that I'm, I'm consistently amazed at how easy it is to really be helpful to people. And then the second thing I would say is I'm, I'm consistently amazed at the success that we've been able to have so far. Um, you know, when we run these various coaching uh, campaigns and we look at what they've done, I shared some, some statistics with you. But you know, we found that if we, as we polled our overall members, they have gotten a two x lift in revenue uh, since being able to come to the platform, right? And eighty percent of them who have participated, and we have a whole section just on grow customers, they've gotten over a fifty percent lift. And so when people say, "Well, it's hard to help small businesses," it really isn't. You know why? Because they listen because they're they're hungry for information and because they're risk tolerant, they're willing to try. And so those are the two things that amaze me that it's not as hard, but people make it seem like it's Sisyphus trying to help small businesses. And the second thing I would say is that um, the success is coming faster than expected, right? You know, with COVID, you hear all the stories of all the businesses going under, but we have seen such tremendous success. And I think part of it is as a platform tech business, we have been able to instill that knowledge, particularly from our co-founders and our coaches, of how to make non-tech businesses successful in the world of technology. The, the having people have the inside secrets of how do you get campaigns done, of how do you get lift, of how do you generate revenue, of how, which platform to use or not, um, I think that's been pretty amazing because you know, we're counting on a bunch of people. And let's be clear, in this day and age, trust is not the thing that pops up as a business criteria, but we have truly trusted the community to help each other. And that's been amazing. And then in that vein, the final thing I'll say is if, if you've been to the platform, you know, we have ways that you can interact with us. You have ways you can interact with, with the coaches, but there's a whole community feed. And every day, the number of entrepreneurs who jump in before we can even get there, right? We have a commitment that we're going to answer everybody's questions within two hours. Heck, within 15 minutes, the entrepreneurs are jumping in. And I, I would say that that's not something I'm surprised by, but that's something that our, our peers are surprised by, which is the unselfish 
selfishness of our entrepreneurs to help each other. It is not a zero sum game in the world of small business that is so often painted. And so I think that's been the biggest message we want to put out there is that entrepreneurs and small business owners really want to help each other. We don't need fancy gimmick marketing programs. We are willing to share because we know if we're all successful, then everybody has a greater heft and weight in terms of the narrative about us. And it's not as competitive as people tend to paint on these TV shows and other media. I got to look in the camera and, and say that Melissa Bradley is the first one to ever mention Sisyphus on the BBC. Just had to put that up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just class the, class the show all up. You know, there. I don't think anybody would have mentioned Sisyphus. So you will probably be the only person. <laughs> but that's great. A matter of fact, I don't know. I don't know. That was great. But hey, I, this is a perfect question for me to ask you. And it comes by. Now, I don't believe this is the Jazzy Jeff that I grew up watching on the Wheels of Steel. But hey, you know, Jazzy Jeff, Jay, has a great question. He would love to get in contact with those programs that can help with funding. And he recently joined Eureka. So that's great for you, for him to, to join that. But maybe you can help him find out how to get some of that money that's raining out of the, the, the skies. Not right now because it's sunny over here in <laughs> no, absolutely. So first of all, welcome, Jeff. Uh, really happy to have you. As you, if you've joined the community, hit me up directly and we will make sure that you get a list of the programs that are out there. We have a team that is tracking all the available programs, whether they're Eureka sponsored or not. And then depending on the type of capital you're looking for, we obviously have our Eureka Connect program where we specifically source entrepreneurs who are looking to raise money, put them in the room with venture capitalists and other investors and help them get capital. So just hit me up directly and we will find the right type of capital for you. Melissa, this has been great. I, I really enjoy the conversation. I love hearing Thank the you. fire that you bring to this area because it's very <laughs> much needed. So let's say two, three, I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going any further than two or three years out. Um, mm -hmm. What do you hope to see? What do you hope to accomplish with Eureka? Where do you want to see uh, these women and uh, people of color businesses that have been so up underrepresented uh, in terms of opportunity? Where do you hope to be in two or three years with this? So I think the 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 meta vision is that uh, for, for me is that Eureka is a verb, kind of like Uber and Lyft, um, and and not just because people are on the platform, but because folks are really willing to take the time to invest in small businesses. You know, we live in a society where you know every day the market is dominated by the S&P 500 and the top 10 or 20 tech companies. But the reality is America is driven economically by small businesses. So that's goal number one. I think goal number two is that we have tons of people on the platform and not begin because that's what we want from a business perspective, but it just speaks to the fact that we have been able to pull people out of the closets and out of the boardrooms and out of the back rooms and into a space where they feel safe saying they are small business owners and they take pride in that. And most importantly, they know they're going to get the support they need. Um, and then obviously, you know, in this vein of capital, we would love to have been able to deploy even more uh, money than we've been able to deploy now. Uh, we've done upwards of 15 million, but we'd love to 
to get to you know a billion uh, if I want to be really ambitious um, because we know the businesses are there, right? That's not a vanity goal, right? But, but to know that the majority of businesses are people of color, they are underfunded, many of them are sole proprietors. If we could get them a billion dollars over the next three years, starting with this year, so let's just take us out to 2023, 2024, the, the amount of wealth we would have created in the country for everyone, right? There's a study that was done by AEU as part of their tapestry report, and I hope I get it right. But but the underinvestment in black businesses has actually left uh, about a million jobs on the table that have not been created. And I believe it's at least a billion, uh, maybe just a little bit under of, of economic wealth not being created. And so you know, in the vein of what our mission is, if people want to start a small business, we we want to make sure we make it easy for them. So those would be some of my goals. Just slightly ambitious, Brett. Just slightly. Just a little bit. Just just a tad. Anybody <laughs> using Sisyphus has to have some level of <laughs> ambition. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to point out that uh, that was Jasmine. She does not oh. know how that. So Jasmine and the founder of Black Remote She. And so she wanted to just uh, let her be know this. Who that who is. That's who it was. Well, thank you, Jasmine. And she said, thank you so much. Because, and she will definitely be reaching out. Look forward and I, to I'd it. like to thank you, too. I, there's there's this long comment. It's, it covers up both our faces, so I'm Ooh. not, not going to be able to keep it up. But I will, I will send it over to you so that if you wanted to, to respond to that, you'll get awesome. it. But I just want to take the time to thank you for uh, joining me today. Uh, two things I, I, I make a comment on. The first one is, when I asked about the bubble, you threw out WNBA teams, NBA teams without even a thought. And I thought that was really cool because I was actually thinking about the NBA. But I thought that was cool that you just went that direction. And, and, and you got the Atlanta Dream in there, too, which is also good. Second, I, you, you, mentioned, um, uh, what the, you mentioned the bubble and then the wobble. I've been fronting like I know what the wobble is, but I can't let you get off here without telling me what the heck is a wobble. So the wobble is where the women are playing, right? So the men are in the bubble and the women are in the wobble. That's why I didn't know what the wobble was. See? Whoa. See? You got to know. I got to know. Well, now I do. And I thank you for letting me know that. And I also thank you for spending some time with me. And I would love to be able to have this conversation uh, somewhere down the line just to see how things are progressing. I would love to come back. Thank We could talk about anything. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, stay safe and stay healthy because we're all still in the midst of some stuff going on here. So, yes, indeed. You. you too. Thank you. All right, folks. So I will see you tomorrow because, you know, I'm going to be hanging out with the bold one, the cold one, John Cold Rice Lawson, doing watching Amazon. And then later with CRM players, you know where to find me. I'll be here. I'll talk to you later.